Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Hey, everybody, and happy Easter, and welcome to church. I'm so glad that you're here. Maybe you're joining us around the city, around the country, or around the world. Uh, We're glad that you have tuned in. I'm Pastor Matt, and I would love to meet you the next time we're able to get back together. Uh, But until then, there's several ways that you and I can connect. One of those ways today is online. If you go to BibleCenterChurch.com, our website, at the top left of the homepage, you're gonna see a new here button. If you click the new here button, you'll have an option even today. When I finish this message, uh, you and I can connect via video conference. Uh, In the moment, we can connect via audio. I would love to meet you, pray with you, uh, take your prayer requests, hear what's going on in your heart. Uh, We can't meet in the lobby, but this is the next best thing. While you're at the website, I encourage you to scroll all the way down to the bottom to the subscribe button. If you click on the pastor's all church email, I send that out about 50 weeks a year. I love to get that into your inbox, especially during this season when maybe you feel disconnected from the world or disconnected from church. I'd love to let you know what's going on. Again, I send that out just about every week on Wednesday or Thursday. And then one other way is just simply to invite you to come back next weekend to join us here, uh, right here watching and participating from your home, wherever your work, wherever you are participating in this worship service. We're gonna begin a new series entitled The Final Word on Fear. We all have plenty of fear in our hearts, but Jesus has the final word on fear. It's not mysterious, it's not mystical. Join us for the next three weeks as we launch into this series and we hear Jesus's final word on fear. Well, as we think about uh, fear, one word stands out to me and I actually learned it from my children. It's the word FOMO, FOMO the fear of missing out. My kids had to teach me what it means. If you're under the age of 30, no doubt you know what it means. But FOMO has to do with the feeling you get when it seems that everyone else is doing something better than what you're doing right now. Some people get it when they see everybody else on vacation. They scroll through Facebook. They have the fear of missing out. I get it when I'm trying to find something to watch on Netflix. My poor wife's gonna get a crown in heaven because if I get the remote and we're going down through, I might look at a hundred different options before we finally choose something to watch. And usually it's the same, two, same two, two or three TV shows that we watch every night anyway. And so, but why do I do that? I have the fear of missing out. Now, psychologists tell us that the way to get past the fear of missing out is to prioritize our decisions, whether they're low priority, medium priority, or high priority. But today, I wanna talk about a decision that according to Jesus is even beyond high priority. I call this an epic decision. This particular decision will affect where you wake up after you die. It'll affect where you spend eternity. It'll affect the peace in your heart, the quality of life that you live on this earth. And it will even affect the people with whom you live your life while you're here. This decision is important for all of us, no matter how old we are, no matter where we come from. In the next few minutes, I'm gonna tell you six stories about six different groups of people that Jesus invites, Jesus calls to make this particular decision. And my prayer is that as I tell you these six stories, you'll find yourself in one of the six 
And if you've not done so already, that you'll make the same decision that each of these six people or six group of people made. So let's go ahead and dive in. Let's dive into today's message. What is today's big idea? What is today's big idea? Simply this, Easter is more than just a day, it's a decision. Easter is more than just a day, it is a decision. Now, growing up for me, Easter was a big day. It was a big day. I can remember we visited family. We mom cooked a big meal. We we uh, had Easter egg hunts. Sometimes we would drive out to Chicago just to be with my mom's brothers and sisters. Easter was a really really big deal for us, and it's a big deal for us here in our church as well. Uh, last year we had a, an Easter egg hunt in partnership with Chick Fil A and V100, where we actually had thirty thousand Easter eggs. Uh, if you remember last year, we flew the Easter bunny in on a helicopter. Uh, that was amazing. That was the first for me. Uh, so we make a really, really big deal about Easter. We understand some of the cultural uh, concepts of it. Uh, but of course, we recognize here at Bible Center and in Christianity that it's really not about an Easter bunny and it's not about eggs, but it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. We could also call it Resurrection Day. And this Resurrection Day was intended to invoke a decision for all of us. Now, the writer of this gospel is Mark, John Mark. And when John Mark wrote, he wrote under Peter's influence. Many scholars believe that Peter dictated uh, much of the gospel of Mark through Mark, or at least Mark took Peter's stories and he edited them. But you can see Peter's influence and Mark's influence. Both of, but both of them were, uh, they were quick on their feet, sometimes too quick on their feet. They didn't always make the right choice. But one good thing we could say about Peter and John Mark is that they were men of decision. And you see that personality just shine through the gospel of Mark because over and over again, Mark calls us, the reader, through Jesus to make a decision. And so we're gonna see that Easter is more than just a, more than just a day. It is a big decision. God invites us to make that decision. I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer writes about discipleship. He says, discipleship is always a decision either for or against Jesus Christ. Discipleship is always a decision. Now, of course, Jesus isn't looking primarily for decisions. He's looking for disciples. I've heard that. If you've been in church, you've heard that. And I understand what that means. What we're saying is we just don't want a decision to fizzle like a flash in the pan and then for you to forget about following Jesus. But yet at the same time, all discipleship begins with decision. So Easter is more than just a day. Easter is a decision. Jesus is gonna invite these six people to make a decision. So let me tell you these six true short stories uh, very quickly. The first group of people that Jesus invites to make a decision are blue collar professionals, blue collar professionals. We see this story in Mark chapter one in verses 14 through 20. Mark tells us about the time that Jesus called four fishermen to follow him. 
Now, if you like to fish, uh, this, you're gonna like this story. If you don't like to fish, it's okay. I don't really like to fish either. I like to catch. I like to go catching, but I don't really necessarily like to go fishing. If you can promise me that we catch something. But this wasn't fishing like you and I would do. These were professional fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. This is a picture of the Sea of Galilee from the town of Capernaum, just outside of very likely, it was on these same shores uh, that Jesus, the story that I'm about to tell took place. Uh, about 20 of us or so from the church were there uh, back in February. And it is a beautiful, one of the most beautiful places on earth. I can't wait to take everybody back with us in uh, 2022. But this is the Sea of Galilee and Jesus called them Peter to follow him. Let me tell you how the story went. It really starts with Jesus's birth. Uh, Jesus for 30 years after his birth, for about 30 years, stayed home or stayed near his parents and became a carpenter like his father. Tradition tells us that Joseph eventually died when Jesus was young and Jesus had learned enough from his father to take over the family practice and to be a carpenter and take care of his mother and his brother and likely his sisters. So Jesus himself was a blue collar professional. However, at the age of 30, Jesus went public with his ministry. Jesus began to raise the dead. He began to heal the sick. He began to uh, feed the hungry. But most importantly, Jesus preached the message. He said, the kingdom of God is near, repent and believe the good news. And one day as he's preaching that message, just uh, he saw Peter and John and James and Peter's brother, Andrew, over there on the shore, barely out into the water, starting to cast their nets. Notice Mark 1:17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now imagine for a minute what would have gone through their minds. They were probably thinking something like, why would Jesus want us? Why would Jesus wanna use us? Why would he pick us? What do we have to offer uh, this man? No doubt they had heard about him. Jesus has started to become famous at this point. Why would Jesus want us? And we can relate to that, right? I mean, there are times where I know I have thought, why would God want to use me? You've probably thought, why would God or how could God ever use me to advance his kingdom? But that's the great thing about Jesus. He's not looking for people who think that they are worthy. He's looking for people who know that he is worthy. He's not looking for people who think that they can do it all. He's looking for people who know that he can do it all. And I love how this story ends. Jesus said, follow me. Notice what they did in verse 18. In verse 18, at once they left their nets and followed him. These men made a decision to follow Jesus. And Jesus is still calling and inviting blue collar professionals to follow him today. Mark is leading up to Easter. He's gonna take us through to the end of his book because Easter is more than just a day. Easter is a decision. There's a second group of people we'll look at. And that's the white collar professionals, the white collar professionals. We see this second true story in Mark chapter two, verses 13 through 17. Mark tells us about when Jesus called a tax collector to follow him. 
Now, this particular story that I'm about to tell is, is uh, uniquely interested, in, interesting to me because it's my namesake. This tax collector, his name was Matthew, and my name is, first name is Matthew. Matthew was his Greek and Roman name, but Levi was his Jewish name. And so the, Mark uses his Jewish name, but this is Matthew that we're talking about. Uh, he was a white-collar professional, specifically in the financial sector. But I'll tell you how Jesus met Matthew. Jesus had been across the Sea of Galilee in the area that we now call Jordan or Northern Jordan. And Jesus had come back to Israel. He'd come back across the Sea of Galilee uh, to the town of Capernaum. Uh, this particular city, the neat thing about Capernaum is it was Jesus's home base. Over and over again in the gospels, you hear Jesus coming back to uh, his house or to a, a borrowed room in Capernaum. You can literally today walk on the streets that Jesus walked on. So you can just imagine Jesus walking by some of these shops and seeing Matthew, the tax collector, there in his booth. Now, a tax collector in the first century was more than just someone like today who works for the IRS, but they were also financial advisors. They would help the citizens of Rome tabulate their income and help them make financial choices with their income, including the choices that they would make for taxes or what taxes were supposedly required. There were many good tax collectors, but there were also many bad tax collectors. And so just imagine as Jesus walks up to Matthew, what would have gone through Matthew's mind? As Jesus looks into his eyes, Matthew knows, he begins to realize this man is looking into my soul. And Matthew begins to think to himself, does Jesus really know all that I do? Does Jesus really know all that I've done? And he notices maybe you can picture Jesus looking at a drawer off to the side and, and Matthew looking at the drawer and looking back at Jesus and looking at the drawer and, and wondering, does Jesus know what's in that drawer? No, there's no way he knows what's in that drawer. I mean, that's the drawer where I cook my books. There's no way Jesus knows. But Jesus looks into his eyes and he says to Matthew, I want you to follow me. And we can relate to that. We can relate to Matthew. I mean, just imagine the day that you stand before Jesus and he looks into your eyes, knowing all that you have done. Imagine as, as, as I look into Jesus's eyes, knowing all that I have done, just, just picture the, the fear that would have come over Matthew, wondering why would he want me? Does he know what I did 10 years ago? What I did one year ago? What I did last week, yesterday? What I did this morning? Does he know those things? But that's the beautiful thing about Jesus. Jesus knows, but he still draws near. And I love how this story ends in Mark chapter two, verses 14 and 15. Levi, that's Matthew, got up and followed Jesus. Very simple, in a few words, he got up and followed Jesus. But not only that, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, he stayed for dinner. Levi got so excited, he, he invited Jesus for dinner. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. Easter for Matthew, this, this story of Easter that would become very real, of course, after the resurrection, Matthew realized it was more than just a day, it was about a decision. And today I wanna to invite you, if you're a white collar professional, whatever you do for a living, no matter what you do or what you've done, 
Jesus Christ offers you salvation because he calls not only blue collar, but white collar professionals to himself. There's a third group of people that Jesus is inviting to make a decision. And that is those who are sick. We see this story in chapter five, verses 21 through 43. Jesus invites those who are sick. Mark tells us about the time when Jesus called two ladies to himself, one of the ladies being a middle-aged lady and the other lady being a, a young girl. This true story is, is probably one of the most relevant stories to what we're going through right now in this coronavirus pandemic. Um, all of us know somebody who's sick. I mean, all of us know. If it's not coronavirus, we know someone who's sick with cancer, someone who has the flu. It just seems like, it seems like the whole world is sick. And I know it's not, but it just feels that way. And so this particular story, just imagine it in that context. I'll tell you what happened in the story. Jesus comes back to the town of Capernaum, the hometown that I showed a few minutes ago. And as he lands on the shore, there's, there's a man by the name of Jairus. Jairus is the, he's the leader of the local synagogue. He would be kind of like a pastor today. He's the religious leader in the town. And, and Jairus' daughter is really, really sick. She's sick unto death. And so Jairus, as soon as Jesus gets out of the boat, Jairus, Jairus falls on his face and he begs Jesus to heal his daughter. There's something special about daddy-daughter bonds. At least that's the way God's designed it to be. Notice Mark chapter five and verse 23. He pleaded earnestly with him, that's Jesus, my daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. Now, along the way, the story gets interrupted. There's another woman, this middle-aged woman, who's lying by the side of the road, and she's had what's called an issue of blood for 12 years. Uh, that's the Bible's way of being polite. Instead of, instead of just once a month, as most women experience, she's been continually bleeding for 12 years. I mean, think about the anemia. Think about uh, her weakness. Think about her susceptibility to disease. And so when she sees Jesus, just picture what's going through her mind. She's thinking to herself, I know that guy can heal me. If anybody can heal me, that guy can heal me. But she's a bit embarrassed to get up in front of the crowd and, and she's probably not clean. And she's a bit embarrassed in front of everybody to ask Jesus for healing. And so she connives a plan. She thinks to herself that when Jesus walks by, I'll circle around behind the crowd and I'll, I'll wiggle through the crowd and I'll just touch him. And if I just touch him, I know that he'll heal me. And then I won't have to look at him. I won't have to say a word to him. Now, a lot of us are that way, not only with God, but we're that way with others. I mean, sometimes we're okay to pray a prayer to God that we picture a million, million miles away, but Maybe we're embarrassed to ask a friend to pray for us over some struggle that we're having, over some emotional struggle, some physical struggle, some financial struggle, or, or some spiritual struggle. We just don't want anybody to know. And, and we're all, or many of us are wired that way. But this woman, she desperately needed healing. And so picture as she reaches through the crowd and she reaches up and she touches Jesus's garments. And she just thinks that that moment Everything's gonna, everything's gonna be okay. Notice what happened, what the Bible tells us in Mark chapter five and verse 29. Immediately, her bleeding stopped 
and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized though that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding around against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Jesus not only healed her, but according to Mark chapter five, he went on to heal Jairus's daughter. Jesus invites sick people to come to him, to make a decision to follow him. Doesn't always promise physical healing, but he does promise spiritual healing and eternal life and in the new heaven and the new earth. A few weeks ago, Sarah and I got a call from a family member who's been battling cancer for almost a decade. This is my wife's Aunt Angie. Uh, many of you who live here in the area remember and know Angie. And Angie called because after a decade of fighting with liver cancer, she, she felt she was losing the battle. And so she called and, and she wanted us to come over. She wanted to talk and she was really struggling or wrestling with assurance and peace of her salvation. And so she had put her faith in Jesus as a child, but had kind of wondered and wondered where she stood with Jesus. And she had never been baptized. And so I was able to take the Bible and explain to her right there in her living room what the gospel is and that the gospel is the good news of the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus on her behalf and how baptism doesn't save you. The criminal on the cross, he wasn't baptized, but yet Jesus looked at him and he said, today you'll be with me in heaven and paradise. But nevertheless, she wanted to make sure that she was a believer. And so I took the Bible in Romans chapter 10 with her family all around. And we read Romans 10, nine, Angie, if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Angie, do you want Jesus to be your Lord? Do you believe that he died for your, you and your sins, that he was buried and that he rose again the third day? She said, man, I believe. And then we went to Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I prayed and Angie prayed with me and there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And Angie with uh, her weak voice put her, her faith, her, she got that assurance of her salvation, knowing that her faith was in Jesus Christ. And I baptized her there in her living room. She was too weak to go out to the river, of course, too weak to, to come here to the church. And then when just a, a week later, less than a week later, Angie stepped out into eternity. Angie stepped into the presence of her savior. And on the last night of her life, I'll never forget, Angie looking at her family and looking at me before she went unconscious and Angie saying, I have peace. I have peace. I'm ready to go. Do you have peace? Are you ready to go? Jesus invites you into that peace. He invites you to believe. Jesus wants white collared people and blue collared people. And Jesus even wants sick people to believe and make the decision to follow him. Well, there's three other groups of people that we'll look at quickly. The fourth group of people, I like this group of people. I call this the curious group of people. 
Jesus invites curious people to make a decision to believe. We see him in Mark chapter eight in verse 34 through 48. Mark tells us about Jesus calling the curious group of people uh, to himself. Now, this particular curious group of people followed Jesus to this city, this exact location. This was a, a booming town in the Roman days, Caesarea Philippi in Northern Israel. And these curious people, uh, they wanted Jesus for all sorts of reasons. Some of them had tasted when Jesus did the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, they had tasted the bread, they had tasted the fish, and they probably wanted more of that. There's times that I think that I would have been in that crowd. Some of them wanted, they were skeptical. Uh, they wanted to see evidence for themselves. Was Jesus really all that he said he was? So what I love about Jesus is that he entertained their curiosity. But here in this location at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus spoke these words to his disciples, Mark chapter eight and verse 34 through 38. And the curious crowd would have heard these words. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, those are very, very strong words. You can just picture, picture with me, one member of the crowd looking over at another member of the crowd and maybe elbowing another friend and saying, um, he's not gonna build the crowd preaching like that. Maybe another person thinking to themselves, well, that's not good PR. Those words are gonna make the crowd shrink not increase. Those were very, very hard words. And they're still hard words for us today. For Jesus to tell us to take up our cross, that to be a disciple means to be willing to lay down our lives for the sake of Christ, to follow, not only to die for him, which in some ways can be easier than living for him, but to live for Jesus after we make that decision. This particular story for this crowd ends for the most part with a happy ending because it seems that many in this crowd eventually did come to put their faith in Jesus after he died, after he was buried and after he rose from the grave on that first Easter morning. The Bible tells us that Jesus actually lived on earth from his resurrection until he ascended into heaven 40 days after Easter. And Paul says that he preached to hundreds, if not thousands of people. On one occasion, he actually preached to at least 500 people at one time. And so scholars believe that it would have been into the thousands of people that saw Jesus, the, the prince in his hands, the, the place where the, the soldier had pierced his side. They knew that Jesus had risen from the grave. And so they learned that Easter is more than just a day, but Easter is a decision. God invites you to make a decision. If you're part of a curious crowd, like sometimes I think that I am or that I would be or I was before I came to faith in Jesus, we want you to know you're welcome here. You're welcome at Bible Center to bring all your questions, all your doubts, all your skepticism. You bring it and we'll have a conversation because I believe Jesus especially likes spending time 
with curious people. Jesus also invites veterans. For some of you men and women, I I hope this hits home. Jesus invites veterans to decide to follow him. We see this true story in chapter 15 and verse 39. Mark tells us about the time when a Roman centurion placed his faith in Jesus. Now, here's an interesting fact about the the, the centurion. This particular Roman soldier was the first person in the gospel of Mark to verbally confess Jesus as the son of God. He was the first human to do it. God the Father had already done it. Uh, One of the demons had done it earlier in Mark, but he was the first human, a Gentile, a Roman soldier, a veteran, we would say, to put his faith in Jesus. You can picture as Jesus is tortured and then put on the cross, what's going through this Roman soldier's mind. Picture as he feels the ground, the Bible says, shake beneath him. Imagine as he sees darkness overshadow the cross, as he hears the thunder roar in the distance. He knows this is no ordinary man. And notice how the story ends in Mark chapter 15 and verse 39. It says, when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. My grandpa was a veteran from World War II. He grew up in Clay County, West Virginia, a small county here in our state. And before he was even 18, he, he left home, walked out a dirt road uh, to catch a bus in hopes of eventually joining the army. Uh, my grandpa joined the Army Air Corps, as it used to be called. And he remembers having never even left Clay County having never even seen Charleston as a teenage boy passing uh, Lady Liberty going out of New York Harbor on his way to La Havre, France. My grandpa landed in La Havre, France, spent some time in France and then later in Germany. And thankfully, my grandpa lived to come home and tell the story. But when my grandpa returned from the war, he married my grandma. They had a beautiful baby girl, my dad's older sister. But my grandpa wasn't yet a follower of Jesus. My grandpa had seen some religious hypocrisy and he had seen some who had foxhole religion in the war, but he just wanted to make sure that if he was gonna follow Jesus, it was more than just an empty flash in the pan decision, but that he truly became a disciple. And so my grandma, he saw the change in my grandma's life. They lived down here in the small town of St. Albans. They went to a church called Grace Baptist Temple and there was a, an evangelist there that week by the name of B.R. Lakin. B.R. Lakin, some of our Liberty graduates remember the hearing of B.R. Lakin. And my grandpa, that day at work, my grandma had been asking him to come with him, had been asking him to come with him. Finally, she quit asking. And that day at work, God opened my grandpa's heart at Union Carbide. He said, I could take you to the spot where I believed. I could take you to the spot where I believed. I believed the good news of Jesus. But he, in that tradition, he wanted to make sure that he went to church that night to tell everybody about it. And at the end of B.R. Lakin's sermon, my grandpa came forward to tell the pastor that he had put his faith in Jesus. And the way he told the story before he died, I'll never forget it. My grandpa said that he got all dressed up, all dressed up like he was back in the military. He got dressed up in his best duds because he wanted to present himself to Jesus to be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. 
If you're listening today, if you're watching and you're a veteran, I wanna invite you to decide to be a good soldier of Christ to put your faith in Jesus Christ if you've never done that. Because you see, Easter is more than just a day. Easter is a decision. There's one last and final group that Jesus invites to follow him. And that's people who are afraid. Jesus invites those who are afraid. We read this true story a moment ago in Mark chapter 16. And Mark recalls for us the Easter story when Jesus rose from the grave and three women came to visit. Here's pictures of the empty tomb. This is one location that some believe, they call this the garden tomb. This likely wasn't the location where Jesus was buried, but it gives you a sense in which we visited that a couple months ago. It's a beautiful location, probably not the actual place. This is probably the actual tomb in which Jesus was buried. It's not nearly as glamorous as the other one, uh, but he was buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And this is the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, now in the lower half of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in Jerusalem. But you can just imagine as, as these ladies were coming to the tomb on Sunday morning, why were they coming to the tomb? because it was customary for them to wrap the body in spices and perfumes. They didn't embalm bodies like we do today, at least in that particular uh, culture, but they would wrap the bodies in perfume and spices and put them in the tomb. And, and that way they, they were preserved. That way they, they um, well, you know what happens. And so they showed up on Sunday morning. They couldn't do it the day before because it was the Sabbath. And Jesus had died so late in the afternoon. And so they ran to the tomb Sunday morning, but their biggest concern was finding the tomb open. You see, it had a large boulder that had been carved boulder that had been rolled in front of it. And evidently Mark says the women didn't feel that they were strong enough to move the boulder. But when they arrived, they got the surprise of their life. They saw not only an empty tomb, but as they went in, they saw an angel they saw an angel who, who declared to these women. They arrived, declared to these women that Jesus had risen from the grave. He's not here. And they even told the women where they could meet Jesus. But notice the response of the women. I'm so glad for people like me, Mark put this response in. You would think they would be overjoyed. You think they'd be confident and courageous. But Mark says in chapter 16, verse eight, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb and they said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now, Mark would have known that eventually these women did overcome their fears. Uh, Matthew tells us in his gospel that they overcame their fear and they told everybody. But you see, Mark doesn't leave us that way. Mark leaves his gospel almost like a cliffhanger. He leaves it open-ended as if to invite you and me to make a decision. You see, Mark wants us to realize that Easter is not just a, it's more than just a day. Easter is a decision. Here's what I wanna leave you with today. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do. I wanna encourage you to decide, to decide today to follow Jesus Christ. I wanna encourage you to make the choice to decide to follow Jesus. You see, Jesus invites, no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, he invites all kinds of people to bring their fears, to bring their anxieties, to bring their sin. 
sure God created us, but we know that sin broke us. Not only do we sin outwardly, but we sin inwardly. But thankfully, Jesus came. He pierced the darkness to come and to give us life. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. And he died and was buried. And he rose again the third day to offer us life that we could never earn. And the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you become a follower of Jesus Christ and he will save your soul. I remember as a kid, when someone chose to follow Jesus, they would sing at their baptism, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. We're gonna start this summer singing that at all of our baptisms. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. If you're ready to put your faith in Christ, you don't have to wait until the church doors open back up. This church never saved anybody but Jesus's arms are open wide. Decide today to follow Jesus Christ. I'm gonna say a prayer for you. And as I pray, let me invite you to say these words in your heart, pray them to the Lord, asking him to be the Lord of your life. Will you pray with me right there where you're at? Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself, but I believe you love me and came to earth to save me. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose again the third day. And Lord, I invite you into my life. I am making the decision right now to follow Jesus. Help me to grow as a Christian. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you meant that, will you let me know? You can let me know in a moment on the Zoom call. You can also send me a note, send me an email, send me a message. Let me know how we can help connect you and follow up. There's one resource I wanna connect you with. That's this particular book. On the Resurrection, The Case for Resurrection by Lee Strobel. If you've got questions, if you're curious like me, you can actually download this, I think for like a buck 99 on, uh, on Amazon. You can read it online, read it on your Kindle. It's maybe a few more dollars if you wait and have it shipped to you. It's a great book on the resurrection. Until then, I look forward to seeing you. Uh, many of you on this uh, conference call, I look forward to meeting you. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.